Psalm 68, give ear to the reading of God's holy word. It says, to the choir master, a psalm of David, a song. Uh, God shall arise, his enemies shall be scattered, and those who hate him shall flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so you shall drive them away. As wax melts before fire, so the wicked shall perish before God. But the righteous shall be glad, they shall exult before God, they shall be jubilant. With joy, sing to God, sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. Uh, His name is the Lord. Exalt before him. Father of the fatherless and uh, protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. O God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, the earth quaked. The heavens poured down rain before God, the one of Sinai before God, the God of Israel. Rain in abundance, O God, you shed abroad. You restored your inheritance as it languished. Your flock found a dwelling in it. In your goodness, O God, you provided for the needy. The Lord gives the word. The women who announce the news are a great host. The kings of the armies, they flee, they flee. The women at home divide the spoil, uh, though you men lie among the sheepfolds. The wings of a dove covered with silver, its pinions with shimmering gold. When the Almighty scatters kings there, let snow fall on Zalman. O mountain of God, mountain of Basham, O many-peaked mountain, mountain of Basham, why do you look with hatred, O many-peaked mountain, at the mount that God desired for his abode? Yes, where the Lord will dwell will dwell forever. The chariots of God are twice ten thousand, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them. Sinai is now in the sanctuary. You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord may dwell there. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up, God is our salvation. Our God is a God of salvation, and to God, the Lord, belong deliverances from death. But God will strike the heads of his enemies, the hairy crown of him who walks in his guilty ways. The Lord said, I will bring them back from Bashan. I will bring them back from the depths of the sea, that you may strike your feet in their blood, that the tongues of your dogs may have their portion from the foe. Your procession is seen, O God, the procession of my God, my King, into the sanctuary. The singers in front, the musicians last. Between them, virgins playing tambourines. Bless God in the great congregation. The Lord, O you who are Israel of Israel's fountain, there is Benjamin, the least of them in the lead, the princes of Judah in their throng, the princes of Zebulon, the princes of Naphtali, summon your power, O God, the power, O God, by which you have worked for us. Because of your temple at Jerusalem, kings shall bear gifts to you. Rebuke the beasts that dwell among the reeds, the herd of bulls with the calves of the peoples. Trample underfoot those who lust after tribute. Scatter the peoples who delight in war. Nobles shall come from Egypt. Cush shall hasten to stretch out her hands to God. O kingdoms of the earth, sing to God, sing praises to the Lord, to him who rides in the heavens, the the ancient heavens. Behold, he sends out his voice, his mighty voice. Ascribe power to God whose majesty is over Israel and whose power is in the skies. Awesome is God 
from his sanctuary, the God of Israel. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God. This ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of our God. So once again, let's pray and ask him, teach us and even to feed us from his word this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Psalms that give us uh, the words with which to worship you in all kinds of situations and circumstances in our lives. Even in time of battle, in time of even triumph, all these things, we pray that you would teach us your word even this morning. That you would work in us again by your Holy Spirit to give us eyes to see and ears to hear great things from your word, working in us that we might not be that we might be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. For it's in Christ's name and for His glory that we pray. Uh, some different commentators have written some pretty notable words about this text. Uh, one writer has said that this psalm is quote one of the most boisterous and exhilarating in the Psalter. Another commentator says there is no more triumphant song in the whole of the Psalter. Then Psalm 68, pretty high high praise. James Montgomery Boyce uh, writes, uh, he, he calls this a song of military triumph. And he notes, uh, for those of you who are history buffs, which I'm not very good at, but I found this interesting, that, that this particular psalm or, or a, a Psalter version of it, kind of like what we sang this morning, uh, possibly written by uh, Beza, was sung by the army of the French Huguenots, that's the French Reformed Protestants in the late 16th century, as they fought against uh, the armies of the French crown. That French crown at the time was loyal to the Roman Catholic Church, and they were seeking to stamp out the Protestant faith, and they weren't ashamed or afraid to use the military to try to do that. And so the Reformed Protestants in France uh, took up arms and tried to defend uh, their people. Well, there was one particular battle, and all hope seemed to be lost for the Huguenots and their king, uh, gave an order that would probably sound pretty strange in our day, but it shouldn't. He gave the order to his men he quote, to, quote, lift the psalm. Lift the psalm. Start, start singing. Not just, he knew which, they knew which one he was talking about. The psalm was Psalm 68. And the soldiers sang the words of this psalm. And if you, you know the first verse, that the psalm cries out to God to arise and let his enemies be scattered. And that day they were granted victory in that, in that battle against overwhelming odds. Dr. Boyce goes on to point out that both Charlemagne, uh, way, way a long time back in the 7th and 8th centuries, and Oliver Cromwell, no less, loved the 68th Psalm as well. These great men of military uh, renown, they loved this psalm. When they read it, it resonated with them, uh, and they, they loved it well. One can't help but wonder if any of our modern Praise songs that are so popular in our day could find any such use by the faithful serving in the military today. Or if any of these new songs that we seem to like could possibly strengthen us in time of trial the way this psalm has done for so many throughout the history of the church. That's, that's one of the reasons, again, that we, we try to sing the psalms. I hope that you appreciate when we do that whenever we can. We try to sing a psalm uh, from our Psalter whenever possible. It's good to sing God's word uh, he's given it to us for a good reason, um, and so we, we try to make that our practice whenever we can. Well, the, the opening verse, this is a difficult psalm in some ways. If, if you were to take the time uh, to read a commentary or two on it, uh, some of you at the men's breakfast saw the little stack of them I had on my desk. 
Uh, I think I went cross-eyed this week reading so many commentaries on it, but they all have different opinions on different verses. There are parts of the psalm, and I, I have to apologize ahead of time. I can't deal with every possible sentence in the psalm in one sermon, and we'd be here till next Lord's Day probably and still be going. Uh, but some commentators actually say this one verse or that verse, honestly, I don't know what it means. I don't know what the reference is, is speaking of, so I'm not going to be able to answer every possible question uh, but these opening verses in verses 1 and following are translated in different ways by different translations. Uh, some render it as a kind of a confession of faith or confidence in God's faithfulness to defend his people from their enemies and his. The ESV puts it in the future tense. As you probably noticed, if you look at your, at your Bible, it says, God shall, future tense, arise. Uh, some translations, which I, I tend to agree with, uh, more, they, they render it as a prayer or a petition for God to do just that. The King James, and this is the title of our sermon this morning, the King James renders it, and we sang it this morning, let God arise. It's a prayer for God to arise and to defend his people. And you don't really have to pick one or the other. The, the prayer like that, God is going to answer. So it's, it's both a prayer and a confession of faith in God's faithfulness to do that. But the psalm the, the, the situation the psalm is painting a picture of that David writes of here is the ascension of the Ark of the Covenant up to Jerusalem. It was up a hill, and it was finally going to its rightful place in the tabernacle and later on in the temple. That's the picture of what's being painted here. And so the Ark is kind of taken in some sense to be a, a picture of God's presence. Let God arise. Well, the Ark is arising, and the Ark was going up the hill to the temple, to the tabernacle, and it was a picture of God leading forth his people in triumph as it did ever since the days of the Exodus. And the opening words of our psalm are actually a quotation of sorts from the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 10, verses 35 to 36, where it says this. It says, whenever the ark set out, remember the ark would move and the people would follow. Whenever the ark would set out, Moses said, here it is. Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. So David knowingly picked this particular passage about the ark for his situation, which made perfect sense. And then it says, and when it rested, so when the ark went out, Moses said one thing, and when it rested, verse 36, he said, return, O Lord, to the ten thousand thousands of Israel. So when the ark set forth, uh, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. When it rested, when it came to rest, return, O Lord, to the ten thousand thousands of Israel. And so to say these words for Moses and in David's day as well was to both pray for and to profess faith that God uh, in his faithfulness would lead his people, Israel, that he would protect them, that he would give them victory over their foes, over their enemies, and that he would uh, lead them to possess the land of promise in Canaan. That's that's what that uh, is a statement of, both in Numbers as well as in our psalm. Uh, not only that, but the latter part of that same passage, where it says in verse 36 of Numbers 10, return, O Lord, to what? The ten thousand thousands of Israel. Uh, that seems to be sort of repeated in some form in our text in the psalm as well in verse 17, which says what? It says the, the chariots of God are what? Twice ten thousand, thousands upon thousands, the Lord is among them. Sinai is now in the sanctuary. So I think Numbers 10 lies behind a lot of what we see in this psalm. Now this, this psalm is a battle psalm. It's a victory psalm. 
It's a prayer for God to deliver his people. It's there in the psalm. What David does is he, he lifts up this prayer, his confession of faith in God's faithfulness to deliver. And what he does is he reminds us throughout the psalm, if you read it, of God's great acts of deliverance in the past, in verses 7 through 18, in, in his acts of deliverance in the present, it's not just ancient news. It's not just old things that God used to do. It's God God daily bears us up, right? And also in the future, what God is going to do in the future is, is what this psalm basically ends with. And now this, this psalm of David appears to picture us for us Israel's journey from the Exodus on, all the way from the time of the Exodus when God redeemed his people from slavery in Egypt, all the way through the wilderness wanderings, and that's a, a common theme in this, this section of the Psalter, uh, and all the way towards the day when they placed the ark in the tabernacle in Jerusalem, and all the way when God gets them all the way home. That's, that's the scope of this psalm. And so David in this psalm is kind of reminding us to look back on God's dealings from the beginning all the way to when he got his people into the promised land, all the way through those wilderness wanderings, all the way to Jerusalem itself. And so I don't think it's a coincidence that our text opens with a nearly word-for-word quotation from Numbers chapter 10, the things that Moses would say whenever the ark would set out. And then look at verses 7 through 10 of the psalm again. It says, listen to this, O God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, Selah, that, that word Selah that you see so often in the Psalms, we don't know exactly what it means, but many believe it means to kind of pause and to think about this. It's, it's, a, it's kind of a way of putting an exclamation point or an italics on, on the, uh, what the statement was. Think about that. When the ark moved, you know, when the pillar of cloud by day and, and fire by night would set out, and God's presence would lead his people to where they were supposed to go through the wilderness wanderings into the land of promise. It's a picture of God going out before the people. God, Where does God lead from, the front or the rear? God led from the front, unlike so many in the military sometimes today. He led from the front. He went out before his people. And what does it picture him as doing in verse 7? Marching through the wilderness. You know, the people of Israel were kind of like an army. In a, lot of, in a lot of ways. And they're marching in formation, as it were, throughout the wilderness. And who's marching in front of them? Leading the way and so, you know, sort, of, sort of pulling out the cadence. It's God himself doing the marching. It says, the earth quaked, verse 8. The heavens poured down rain before God, the one of Sinai before God, the God of Israel. Rain in abundance, O God, you shed abroad, you restored. Your inheritance as it languished. Your flock found a dwelling in it. In your goodness, O God, you provided for them. God, God provided for them for 40 years in the wilderness wanderings. Their, their clothing, their sandals never wore out. God gave them water from the rock. He gave them manna from heaven. He was with them the entire time. He marched through the wilderness before them and with them. And it's military imagery. It's picturing God as the military king and deliverer. And so I think that's what the significance is of verse 17 when it talks about the chariots of God are twice 10,000, thousands upon thousands. What's, what's the picture there? Did they have thousands of chariots? No. But yes, they did. But they were invisible to the, to the, to the human eye. They weren't literal, physical chariots. They were better than that. It's a picture of God's, kind of the armies of God, the unseen armies of God that went before the people to deliver them. It's a military 
image. Nobody, what's the, what's the point there? Nobody can outgun God. His people didn't look like a mighty army most of the time, but, but they were because they had God fighting for them. The battle belonged to the Lord. Nobody can outgun God. Nobody can overpower God. And what that means is if he's with his people, then his people cannot be defeated. They cannot lose. The wicked, even wicked nations and rulers of the world in their day as well as ours, you know, to us they seem overwhelming. They seem that, that, uh, that they are of more power than we have. Uh, that's always been the case. But if you see with the eyes of faith as the psalm and all of the scriptures would have us to do, if we're mindful of the testimony of the scriptures and throughout history of God's almighty power and faithfulness to his people in gathering and defending his church, that's what we should keep in mind. That's what this psalm would have us to retune our hearts to think about, to reorient our, our vision to see the way things really are, not just the way that they appear. You know, that's, in a lot of ways, it's been said before, that's, that's the theme of Revelation. The other book we've been studying through for the last number of months is that things are not what they appear. The side that appears to be winning isn't. And God's people are conquering in the one who is conquered on our behalf. The opening prayer in verse 2 says this, As smoke is driven away, so you shall drive them away. As wax melts before fire, so the wicked shall perish before God. You know, that's the psalmist, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, trying to teach us, teach God's people, how the enemies of the, of the cross of Christ really are. You know, in, in, our, in our world, I, I, it seems like every other day I'm reading a report about persecution, violent persecution in different places of the world. Nigeria, I'm, I'm seeing... Every other day it feels like there's a story about Christians being beheaded and martyred just for their faith in Nigeria. It seems like the opposition, the enemies of the cross of Christ, are the ones that have the power. But how does the psalmist, by God's inspiration of his spirit, describe them? They are described as nothing more than mere wind-blown smoke and wax that melts before God. To us, they don't look like smoke and wax, but with the eyes of faith... We see them as, as just that, smoke and wax. And so the answer to the prayer in the opening verses that, that David teaches us to pray is actually seen, his answer is seen in verses 11 to 14, where he says, The Lord gives the word, the women who announce the news are a great host, the kings of the armies, they flee, they flee. It's, it's a strange way of, of uh, putting it. It's as if the, the, the announcement is included there in the text. They can't get the words out fast enough. The kings are running away, the enemies of God's people. The women at home divide the spoil, though you men lie among the sheepfolds. The wings of a dove covered with silver, the pinions with a shimmering gold. When the Almighty scatters kings there, let snow fall on Zalman. What, what was prayed for in the opening couple verses? That God would arise and scatter his enemies and they would flee. What does it say is going to happen? God arises and he scatters his enemies and they flee before him. You see the prayer being answered even in the body of the psalm later on in the psalm. This psalm, I think, paints a picture for us of safety and security and of victory for God's redeemed people. Now, if you wanted to, to sum it up, you could use Romans 8.31 and you wouldn't be wrong. What does it say there? If God is for us, what? Who can be against us? Well, lots of people are against us. But does it really matter? Do they, can they really have a hope of stopping the gospel? No, they don't. 
all these people, all these, the Muslims in Nigeria that are killing the Christians, are they going to stop the gospel? No, it's growing. The gospel is spreading in Africa. The, the communist government in China is trying to stamp out the gospel in China. What's happening? The gospel's booming there. They can bulldoze all the churches they want. Jesus is still on the throne, and he's still going to make disciples of all the nations, and who knows what he might do even in the, the country of, of China. You know, because God has been faithful to defend his church in ages past. You know, we sing a hymn, O God, our help in ages past. Because God has been our help in ages past, he's also our hope for years to come. There's a reason we sing that song. That song goes in line very much with this psalm. As David puts it in verse 19, Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. Present tense, not just past tense. You know, when you read those stories in the Old Testament, and we, we sometimes be tempted to think, well, that's how God used to work. No, that's how God works now. God still bears us up, both in David's day as, in, as well as in ours. So the history of redemption that you read in your scriptures, the history of God's faithfulness to his people in the Bible and throughout history, it's given there to encourage us that our God, who never changes, will likewise be merciful and faithful to us as well. God still daily bears us up, doesn't he? Have you not found that to be the case in your own life, however long God has given you so far in this earth? Has he not seen you through a host of fiery trials in your life? Maybe you can think back to a number of them right now as I'm saying these things. I'm thinking, yeah, you know, the things I, I never thought I would get through, but God got me through it. Over and over and over again, God is faithful. And we sing sometimes, like the words of hymns keep coming to mind after I already made the order of worship always seems to happen, but uh, there's a song we sing a lot, the How Firm a Foundation. I always think of it as the J. Vernon McGee song, uh, if you know who that is. But the third verse, the third stanza says this, When through the deep waters I call you to go, the rivers of sorrow shall not overflow, for I will be with you your troubles to bless and sanctify to you your deepest distress. Has the Lord not brought blessings, unexpected blessings, into your life, through your troubles, even because of your troubles. Can you not look back to things that happened in your life and say, wow, as awful as that was, and it's not that it wasn't a bad thing, but look what God did through it. Look at the good brought through even your troubles. Has he not sanctified even your deepest distress at times? Maybe you're going through a distress right now and you, you can't imagine, what, how could God probably do something to sanctify this to me, to make it a holy thing in my life? And to use it for my good. But what does Romans 8.28 say? God makes all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. All things. All the bad things is the point. The entire point of that passage is God makes, takes the bad things and makes them work together for your good. And so because of this, we too should bless the Lord and sing praises to his name. Now, in some ways, you know, we always talk about practical application to a sermon from a sermon text, whatever the passage may be. Sometimes, and I think this is the one in this psalm, sometimes praising God is the application. I think praising God is much more uh, practical than we might think it is in our lives. We, we need to praise God, and God is worthy of praise for all kinds of, of reasons and ways. And that's, I think, the application. It's where the psalm is going to end up when we get to the final verses, is praising God from all over the world. Well, the next thing you might know, you may know this psalm is is quoted or alluded to in the New Testament at least twice. 
Both of these passages in the New Testament apply this psalm. It it, it basically teaches us this psalm points to the glory of Jesus Christ, in particular in his ascension. In his ascension. The psalm of David, in many ways, is prophetic of Jesus Christ and his coming. Paul quotes it in Ephesians chapter 4. You might be familiar with this passage, Ephesians 4, verses 7 through 13. Paul says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, and where does he quote? Psalm 68. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, he's he's going to interpret the, the psalm for us. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he, that's Christ, who was spoken of in that psalm, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds or pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's the the ultimate fulfillment of Psalm 68, of this king riding in triumph. It's not David going into Jerusalem with the ark. It's Jesus dying on the cross, rising from the grave, and ascending, as we already confessed this morning in the Nicene Creed, ascending to the right hand of God the Father Almighty. That's that's the real conquering king that's pictured here in Psalm 68. Now, some people have a problem, you may have noticed, with that citation of Psalm 68, is that it reads a little bit differently the way Paul quotes it. Because the psalm, what does it say? The psalm says that he, he received. He was receiving gifts among men, but Paul says he what? He gave gifts to men. How are we to understand? Did Paul misquote Psalm 68? Did Paul feel like he was uh, had the right as an apostle to change the wording of Scripture? Is that what's going on? No. I think the simplest answer is to say that Paul was drawing the imagery of Psalm 68, 18 to its logical conclusion and applying it to Christ. He's, he's kind of interpreting the psalm as well as quoting from it. What, what does a conquering king normally do with the spoils of war, with the spoils of victory? What does he normally do? He, he, he receives it in order to do what with it? He, he gives it away. He distributes it to his, to his people, to his army. And that's what Paul is saying Jesus has done from the right hand of God the Father. He's given, he has earned and won the gifts that he now gives to us in his church. We fight our battles uh, on this earth until he returns. He has won the victory for us on the cross and in his resurrection. And in accomplishing our salvation from sin, he won the victory for us and he has earned the many blessings he bestows upon us from the right hand of God. And in particular, what what blessings does Paul mention in Ephesians 4? We may not think of these things. The spiritual gifts he gives to the whole church, including pastors and teachers, the things he gives us to build us up in the faith, equip us to build the body up in love. That's just a, a small bit of what Christ has given his church after his ascension. In verse 17, that also is, is quoted in the New Testament, where David there speaks of the chariots of God being twice 10,000, thousands upon thousands. 
We read this a number of months ago in Revelation chapter 9, verse 16, where John writes, he says, the number of mounted troops was what? Twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. Revelation is the same point as this psalm does. Who's, who's got more on their side? God's people or the enemies of the cross? God's people do. Greater is he that is within us than he that is in the world. The armies that we have are greater than we really understand them to be. The apostles regarded this psalm as highly, and they regarded it as being prophetic of the Lord Jesus Christ, our true and ultimate conquering king of kings, in whom we are more than conquerors. That's the theme of this psalm, just like it's the theme in many ways of the book of Revelation, if you study through that. No. Our Lord, as Revelation teaches us, is still going forth conquering to, and to conquer. Is Jesus Christ right now a conquering king? Yes. You know, I, I think I've mentioned before, I saw a story saying that the, uh, the, the I guess his title would be the dictator of, of China, whatever his title is, that he's, he's afraid of the church. It's why he's persecuting it. And, I, you know, you read that and you think, well, that sounds silly, but it doesn't sound silly. He gets it. He knows there's another king, and that king is, is marking territory and taking captives and turning people over to serve him. Jesus Christ is still going forth before his people, before his church, and scattering his enemies and making his enemies a footstool for his feet. He's doing that still now. Now, how is he doing it? Through an army? No, he's doing it through the power of the gospel. When the gospel goes forth, it goes forth with power, and disciples are made, and people and entire nations are changed over time. And so you and I have every reason to make Psalm 68 our prayer as well. You and I should be praying... Let God arise. When we pray, when you pray for, for missions, pray for that God might arise and his enemies might be scattered. Let them also that hate him flee before him. I mentioned already a few times the persecuted church and what's going on in places like Nigeria where our brothers and sisters in Christ are being slaughtered by Muslim forces there. They're being martyred for the only, the only thing they're guilty of and they're, is professing the, the name of Christ. And they're laying down their lives uh, by the dozens because because of it. So how do we pray Psalm 68 for them? We pray for the Lord to arise and scatter his enemies and the enemies of his people. Now, God, how might God do that? God might do that, as he has often done, in one of at least two ways. He might arise and scatter his enemies by bringing judgment upon them. He might, as he often does, deliver his people by means of of a great act of, of judgment. And he uses secondary causes to do these things or other things, however he chooses to do it. He may bring judgment upon that place unless they repent. You and I should not be surprised to see that happen in due time. And when it does, we should ascribe praise to God for it. The other way that God sometimes also does this is by conversion. Think of the Apostle Paul when he was Saul of Tarsus. Saul was trying to destroy the church and kill Christians. And what did, what did the Lord Jesus Christ do? Stopped him in his tracks, dropped him off his high horse, and changed his entire life. He went from being a destroyer of the church to the one who, who preached the gospel he once tried to destroy. Nothing can explain that, but God does that. May God do either and both of those things for his people in Nigeria and, and elsewhere. And we can also pray this psalm with an eye toward evangelism and missions. Wherever the gospel, whether it be in this pulpit or somewhere in China or somewhere across the world, wherever the gospel 
is faithfully preached, we should be praying, let God arise, let his enemies be scattered, let them also that hate him flee before him, that people might be converted and turned to Christ and disciples be made. We prayed this morning the Lord's Prayer, and that prayer where you pray, let thy kingdom come. That's this. Let thy kingdom come. This psalm looks forward to and really prophesies of the fulfillment of the spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth. It's not just wishful thinking. This gospel is prophetic of Christ, his death and resurrection and ascension, and his giving gifts to, to his church. It's also prophetic of the disciples being made of all the nations. In verse 29, David says that kings shall bear gifts. What kings? Kings from foreign nations shall come bearing gifts to God. Verse 31, he also says that nobles shall come from where? Egypt. And Cush shall hasten to stretch out her hands to God. Foreign pagan nations, even nations like Egypt that once tried to stomp out Israel, are going to worship God. The gospel is going to go there and bear fruit. All the nations are going to be made disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, even Egypt. And so you could say the psalm kind of comes full circle. It starts with the people leaving Egypt and going into the wilderness, and it ends with Egypt coming and praising God and giving gifts. And look at the last uh, verses of the psalm, verses 32 to 35. It says, O kingdoms of the earth, sing to God, sing praises to the Lord. To him who rides in the heavens, the ancient heavens, behold, he sends out his voice, his mighty voice, the gospel. He sends out his mighty voice. Ascribe power to God whose majesty is over Israel and whose power is in the skies. Awesome is God from his sanctuary, the God of Israel. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God. That, that's a prophecy in the Psalms of the gospel going out to all the nations and nations coming to Christ by faith, by his grace. And what, what do we end with? Blessed be God who does all these things and gives power to his people. Amen. Let's, let's pray.